thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to Wellness Women Radio with women's health experts, Dr. Ashley Bond, the pregnancy and birthing guru, and the queen of hormone imbalances, the period whisperer herself, Dr. Andrea Huddleston. They're raising the bar for women's health by bringing you the most up-to-date health and wellness information to live your best life. Now, onto the show. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hello there, fabulous listeners. Thank you so much for joining us on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And don't forget to follow us on social media. Um, I swear one of these days we're actually going to start doing some good things on there. Um, You know, most of my posts are about my dogs, but who doesn't love that? Um, (laughs) Ashley, I have been loving your stuff of late, though. Oh, thank you. um, You know, sharing pictures of your beautiful babies and some really, really good heartfelt stuff. So, ladies, you can find Ashley at Dr. Ashley Bond um, on everything. I am the Period Whisperer on Facebook and DrAndrea.xo on Instagram. Um, and we are the Wellness Women Official on the gram as well. Uh, ladies, this episode is all about, you know, things that we've been sold that are not healthy for us and the absolute um, BS that is your BMI or your body mass index. Um And I think that's not going to come as a huge surprise to a lot of people, but we're going to go into why scientifically this is like just not a marker of individual health or healthy weight or anything like that. Um, But Ash, when we were off air before, you were telling me that according to BMI, you were on a cutoff. Yeah. So, and it all started, I think I might've shared this before somewhere way back, but um, I just remember it I will never, ever forget because, you know, you remember those moments in life where you feel the most embarrassed or the most ashamed or, um, you know, all that sort of those moments you can, every one of us, everyone will always have those. And if you said, oh, what was the most embarrassing? And like you remember it, I still remember year six in primary school um, being 
going through one of our lessons and we had to do BMI and I did my BMI and I remember my BMI at the time was the same as the biggest girl in our class who was a lot taller and by physical frame looked a lot bigger than I did. Mm -hmm. And I remember having this awful sensation of like thinking, I don't look how I think I do. It was actually this Mm -hmm. idea that I thought what I thought I was, was not because she and I were the same in terms of our BMI. And so suddenly I had this, you know, and it was interesting because I do wonder whether that kind of stuck with me then forever after because a lot of then choices after that were often geared around this idea that um, not so much the BMI but that I wasn't as small as I thought I was, if that made sense, because I was Mm -hmm. a fit athletic frame, I always was. And I remember thinking, oh, well, if we're the same, then I'm not seeing myself properly. So I must have to be lighter than this. Like if that, and it was a really strange thing to happen. And I, I can reflect on it as an adult, but as a child, I couldn't because, you know, in year six, what you're, you're 12, 11, 12 years of age, you don't have the ability to see that making sense or not making sense. Um, And unfortunately, BMI defined that for me. And so I had this picture and, you know, the picture of myself changed um, just by knowing that number and then comparing it to someone else who had the same BMI as I did. Um, oh, Ash, and you can see how it's not um, a long step to get to from that point to someone who might have severe body dysmorphia because mm-hmm. you cannot reconcile how you have the same numbers but you're in completely different bodies and completely different frames. And if that is considered obese, then surely what you're seeing is incorrect. That's of yourself, it. right? Yeah, yeah. It's just it's it it makes your brain confused. It yeah. changes the way you think you think you see yourself. So it was really interesting. And so that was my first experience of BMI. And um, thereafter, this idea then, of course, you know, the, then people was, oh, don't worry about it. Muscle weighs more than fat, you know. And that was the next palm off. But then it's that didn't really kind of help because it still made you think, well, so I'm still heavy then. <laughs> like muscle weighs more than fat great so she's fatter than me but I'm heavier awesome like it just it really it really made big mistakes and um you know and think then that's this whole idea that you go all through your life BMI can define you in lots of different areas it could be you know obviously for me more recently very aware of BMI in pregnancy Mm -hmm. um and to all you listeners I'm not the biggest person in the world most of you know people would look at me and say oh you how can you be that big but my BMI was still sitting at 24.7. I was just on the cusp of 25, which is considered overweight obese for the purpose of pregnancy and maternity care. Um, so, And Ash, and to, for those of you who can't actually see her physically, Ash is lean and athletic. And for you to be on the cusp of that, then the rest of the population have got no hope. I, that's, that's what I was wondering. I'm like, gosh, I'm not exactly the biggest, biggest person. And this means well, you're not I'm- even close. Ash, you are like, <laughs> honestly, you are lean. Like that is just that's bonkers. Ki- that's kind. But it's just that funny thing of thinking, wow, how many women are put under pressure with these numbers, with this BMI number that defines them mm-hmm. um, and that can lead them to chasing the changes and often in an unhealthy way. And I do wonder if it contributes significantly to our horrendous diet culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this idea that we can diet our way out of uh, whatever we don't like about ourselves, which is a yeah. really 
awful, uh, awful thing because yeah, as you have more experiences in your life, I think ladies, you'll realize that more and more it's not until you get to a point of um, self-acceptance and self-love that can you grow beyond this idea that a diet is going to make you better or make you feel better about yourself or all those sorts of things. And for a lot of them, it, it may, but there's other work that has to be done. It's not just the BMI change. It's not just the weight on the scales that changes that makes someone feel different about themselves there has to be a lot of other uh deep work done internally you know mentally emotionally that will allow them to accept those new numbers as a positive um that they can then sustain and maintain so um and it seems just even cruel to be weighing pregnant women so often and also to be you know recording things like their body mass index and you know pretending to use like that like it's actually a valuable medical um you know assessment tool which it so clearly is not. Um, Ash, did you want to add something there to the was, weighing women during pregnancy? Oh, God, yeah. I was just laughing, thinking it's just the worst. If you want to, you know, damage a woman's psychology, do that in pregnancy because any woman who has a, a, a picture of themselves before pregnancy and suddenly when the weight starts coming on, there's certain numbers that you just can't get your head around. Even though you know yeah. you're carrying a child and you know there's fluid and all this stuff, those numbers, if you're a health conscious person or a person who has, you know, a definition of themselves somehow, those numbers break it really badly. With Oliver's yeah. pregnancy, I thought it was really interesting. I hit this number um, and in my, my life, it was the number 80. And once I clicked over that, I almost started to want like literally want to start, I hate to say the word dieting, but making radical changes in what I was eating and how I was doing things. And then it was, yeah. fortunately, I've got the presence to be like, don't be ridiculous. Like, whoa, check in there. That's a ridiculous thought. But how many of us can't do that because we're under pressure for lots of different aspects in our life? Um, yeah. Image is a huge thing. And then you go on Instagram and there's all these beautiful lean women doing yoga and you're looking going, oh, my God, my pregnant body doesn't even do anything close to that. Like, what's yeah. wrong with me? Or you then happen to po- postpartum photographs of the body bounce backs after pregnancy and just like oh my gosh they look amazing it's like oh but I've put on so much weight while I'm pregnant I'll never look like it's amazing how much self-talk goes there and that comes all down to the BMI too because BMI in pregnancy can define how you birth which is a hideous thought the idea that your BMI could determine your birth experience so over 25 starts to tip into risk categories Um, then throw in if you're a number like over 40 you get another risk category so if you're over 25 bmi and over 40 you're probably less likely to be able to have any you know natural birth experience that you want because you're going to be hospitalized into a higher risk category Um, which is another reason why i chose a private midwife as well because bmi essentially means nothing Um, yes yes which is so happy to hear you say that fantastic Um, because I think we did a a weigh-in at the start only for just sheer, you know, physical health assessment, which was very Mm -hmm. reasonable. And she even said, you don't have to see it if you don't want to know, being well aware that people often don't weigh themselves, but she just needed it as an awareness for her, you know, checks related to our body changes, Um, because it can be a little bit of a definition as well of, you know, fluid retention and stuff like that. You might be able to see and experience those numbers and be like, okay, it looks like there's a lot of fluid. Should we be concerned about anything? So there's, there's reasons for that. Um, but after that, not a single other check. She asked me if I wanted to. I said, no, not really. That's fine. <laughs> I was awesome. like, you yeah. know, just, just making sure that it, she was covering her boxes and I was comfortable that she didn't do it if I didn't want her to. And I was like, it was just so yeah. great. So my experience I... was completely different. Whereas 
BMI on the other birth that I had with Oliver was in the program connected to the hospital and that mattered and I had to keep checking it. So I remember thinking, oh, my God, I have to keep checking this and now I'm over. And they were like, oh, well, you know, not too much over. I'm like, I'm not even really over. Like, oh. (laughs) so That would be honestly um, mortifying because most women do have hang-ups with just what that number on the scales is. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I've lost count of how many times I've had to, um, you know, help pregnant women to logic their way out of um, what their increased number on the scales is during their mm. pregnancy because yeah. they'll say things to me, um, you know, maybe they're in their third trimester and they've put on 10 kilos or something, which is so normal. Um, and they're like, but the baby's only, you know, a kilo or something. Exactly. Where's that weight gone? It's yeah. like, okay, let's look at this. Look how massive your boobs are. That's a couple of kilos either side there. <laughs> yeah. You've got fluid. You've got, a you placenta. know. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and once they understand that, it does certainly help. And I also want to give a little shout out to um, my bestie Tara who had her baby um, last week, 10-pound oh. baby for her First bulb. Going kilos for everyone else. Um, four point something kilos. Amazing. Um, well done, at Tara. At home. Um, yeah, amazing. I'm so – it's just so scrumptious. But anyway, yes, uh, she did so well. But <laughs> I just thought of that then when awesome. we were thinking of, um, you know, women who are trying to figure out what that actually means for them during pregnancy. Yeah. Um, but let's – somehow segue that into the absolute ridiculousness of BMI. So your body mass index is purely just a formula that measures your weight in kilograms. You divide that by your height and then it's squared. And this number is literally just a number. So it does not indicate what those kilos are made up of. It doesn't indicate, you know, lean muscle mass as opposed to toxic fat or bone density or your overall body composition. It doesn't take into account things like, you know, race, the sex differences. And, you know, it kind of segments you into these categories of either being under, normal, overweight or obese and definitely skews to those higher sort of overweight overweight or obese categories. Um, But... I think it's almost racist as well because it doesn't actually take into account your ethnicity mm-hmm. whose body compositions are completely different. Yes. And it used to be used or was originally intended to be used as a tool for, you know, population-based studies and understanding epidemiology. But it was never intended to be used as an individual-based assessment um, and certainly not intended to be used for sh- fat-shaming patients. Um, <laughs> yeah. And just the the emphasis that we put on it nowadays and in, you know, modern medicine that the BMI calculation is, um, you know, used for everything um, when it was never intended to be so is really quite concerning. Um, and, you know, just like so many things in modern medicine, it is incredibly antiquated um, because this actual BMI calculation was thought up over 200 years ago. Mm. Um, so this came about by a Belgian scientist. His name was um, Adolf Kertelet, um, and he wasn't a medic. He wasn't involved in medicine, in physiology, in biology. He had no understanding of the human body. He was an astronomer. He was a mathematician. He was into stats and sociology. He wasn't a medic. And so the foundation of his work um, was also incredibly racist because he believed that um, like the mathematical mean or average of the population was at its ideal 
Um, and it was its ideal was to try and prove that essentially white Europeans were the ideal kind of um, population. Of and course it was. <laughs> yeah, and that's essentially the, oh, um, the the history of how that BMI calculation came to be in the first place. Um, it's ridiculous. But th- yeah, I think it's fascinating too because then you, you you know you talk about the foundations and origins, and then the actual implementation of it um, occurred in the 1940s, and that actually came about um, from uh, a life insurance company, and it was designed to help them determine how much to charge clients for insurance based on their health, and they mm-hmm. determined BMI as an accurate indicator to indicate someone's quality of health, so that it could charge them more or less according to their health status. Um, and so, you can yeah. see how that would be useful for insurance companies because it skews so heavily towards um, defining someone as unhealthy. Yes, quite quickly because then yeah. athletic people are also considered <laughs> on the cusp of that too, aren't they? So, um, And also just the simplicity, right? Height and weight, two numbers, everyone can know that number, no mm-hmm. complex calculations, you don't need to touch someone, you don't need to measure someone, you don't need to have a tape measure out or a set of scales. Like it's really quite standard people know those numbers um so it's very easy to enter them into uh, a system and create an outcome for that um what i found very interesting too is just that it never factors in the idea that your you know bone density muscle mass fluid volume fat fat mass like there's so many factors that make up the composition of the human body but it's just about this idea that that equation alone can tell you how healthy someone is um Mm -hmm. it's actually infuriating to me but (laughs) um and then like fast forward to as you're saying um ash into the um sort of early 20th century and it was ansel keys who is um the guy who essentially pioneered um the uh demonization of fat and cholesterol Mm. um which we know we have disproven so many times and his work was quite fraudulent and everything else so he is the one that actually then took um the belgian scientist's work and translated it into you know essentially you know these these goal posts which continue to change um you know whenever industries decided to change the definitions of obesity and overweight mm. um and unfortunately now bmi continually is being used in like much less accurate ways particularly for people of color because it leads to, you know, misdiagnosis and probably um, mistreatments as well, i.e. pregnancy like what you referred to. Mm. Um, And even just as recent as in 2011, um, the Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology found that BMI detected 50% of obesity in black, white and Hispanic people. So you cannot tell me that 50% of their population is obese, Mm. um, but according to BMI, that is the case. And BMI also exaggerates thinness in short people yes. and fatness in tall people. So, Ash, you are tall, right? You are tall and lean, but this is part of the reason why it skews you into those higher BMI categories, mm. which also means that this equates to tall people thinking that they're fatter than what they really are. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... That in itself is so illogical. 
Um, and especially yeah. nowadays, we know that um, there's so many other better ways of assessing our health biomarkers and our yeah. weight biomarkers rather than using something that is so completely arbitrary and inaccurate as just someone's height, weight, squared, like just ridiculous. Um I feel like I've just ranted a little there. <laughs> no, and the thing is, I think it's just really talking to the idea that there's things we accept as normal, status mm-hmm. quo, that we think it means something. And then when we really investigate and look into it, it actually doesn't. It doesn't have the weight of value to it that has been made. And that's the idea that we keep using and referencing BMI. It should be scrapped. It has yep. very little relevance in so many different aspects of health and well-being. Um, it may be useful in some environments of research study or whatever they're doing with it, but on a day-to-day basis for the average, you know, Joe Blow, the better testing that should be being done is things like fat folds, skin testing, that -hmm. give us a bit more of an understanding of the location of the fat, where it's stored, which is important because that does have direct health consequences, and also obviously the volume. So then you're starting to get meaningful numbers. You then start to see the composition and body makeup, which is really important. And this is where those ideas of, you know, ectomorphic, endomorphic, mesomorphic frames come Mm. into it. Um, You know, it's really clear as well. The other thing that will skewer is an ectomorphic frame. You know, someone who's really lean by nature um, is going to look underweight and then underweight, oh, but that's a risk factor for low birth weight babies and it's a Mm. risk factor for all these other things that they will throw or, you know, they just need to eat more. It's like, but they eat plenty and they're fine and they're actually very healthy. Um, but yeah. unfortunately, these sorts of things do skewer the uh, image of what that person is and what their health is like. So, and even just a waist to height ratio mm. is so much of a better predictor than yes. BMI for things like type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease, Yes, which is as simple as, you know, doing – any other measurements or there's also the availability of things like DEXA scans, bioimpedance analysis, you know, like even just measuring someone's waist um, is more accurate than BMI. I don't understand why we're still using it. It's just so arbitrary, um, but it does take a long time for medicine to catch up to these sorts of things, but it certainly should be phased out. Yeah, I'm with you. I think if I had my way, it would be something like the the waist to height or mm. um, maybe even blood sugar testing. Yep. stock standard to give you a good understanding of metabolic function you know the the hyper hypoglycemic function the, we know prediabetes is one of the leading causes of diabetes you're dealing with metabolic changes and transitions and that's one of the yeah. highest you know rates in the world in exponential growth it's ridiculous i can't believe what we're doing to our our planet when we're eating the foods that are turning our bodies into these wastelands inside but um yeah. that's you know i think they're more accurate aren't they to give us a predictor yeah. of health um, I'm not a big fan of cholesterol. I think cholesterol tests have uh, limited uses, but I do think it is important to you know monitor things maybe like blood pressure. That does give you a, an idea of stress response. Personally, I would love things like heart rate variability to be the, the gold standard of testing. Yes. If, you know, yes. if you're tracking HRV, you're getting a really good understanding of how your body is responding to stress. You can then monitor that over time so you can start to see and chart if there's times of physiologic and metabolic and um, mental emotional stress increases you'll see that mm-hmm. in the change in the hrv which is really cool um, so yeah i would much prefer to hear someone tell me what the hrv is 
as opposed to the BMI. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. Um, hey, Ash, I just need to correct myself. Um, I totally fudged some data that I was talking about before from the Journal of, of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and it was actually that the BMI detected less than 50% obesity cases in black, white, and Hispanic women. So it's, so it's less than, so it's um, not. Still inaccurate. <laughs> it's, yeah, okay. So, yeah, just to make sure that I got my facts right on that mm. from that actual research article. Um, but uh, the point of the, that is that um, BMI, totally inaccurate. Um, yeah, it doesn't excellent. do what it says it's supposed to do. Yeah. So um, <laughs> no, I'm just throwing my hands up in uh, like just, you know, I'm, I'm just washing my hands of that but anyway um so ladies have absolutely no attachment whatsoever to your body mass index because it is a load of crap um we hope that that's what you take from this episode and that the things that you've thought um or you know things that we're led to believe are you know indicators of health um they're supposed to be healthy for us they're supposed to um, be those gold standards of testing are absolutely not necessarily the case um and we've always got to think you know a bit more logically about that sort of stuff as well and um you know where these sorts of um things and standards come from too Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm going to tell you our Christmas presents to each other this year, Pete and I. Um, we oh, got yes. Each, we, we got each other. I'll show you the fancy on the screen here. Sorry, ladies, you won't be able to see this. Um, but we got the latest uh, Garmin watches and these oh, have some pretty cool data on them. And, you know, I was mentioning things like uh, this tracks heart rate throughout the day. Look, I'm not a big fan of wearables. I don't like, you know, lots mm. of Wi-Fi and all this connection stuff. But I think there's some interesting info and I've, I've been wearing it because I would like to know, okay, <laughs> Why did it come about? Because all of the fear-based info and crap out there regarding COVID, I wanted to know, well, what's my baselines? Because you yes. can't tell me whether I'm well or not well if you don't know what my baselines are. So I want to be able to have accurate health data to then decide for myself whether there's a concern or whether something should be addressed a different way. Um, awesome. So this is, you know, this is about how to be truly healthy. Well, to be truly healthy, you need to know what your health is. It's like yeah. a whole idea. If you don't measure, you can't track. Um, yeah. So yeah. we got this and it's been fascinating to watch because it's just even simple things like understanding better um information so rather than tracking a bmi or a weight or any of those things i'm so much more into this idea of tracking your heart rate zones you know when you're doing exercise or moving mm -hmm. how many steps you're taking in the day what your average heart rate is then yes. overnight what's your hrv what's your resting heart rate because things like resting heart rate give you a great indicator of stress or change in the body mm -hmm. that's an indicator of health not your bmi and um, Ash, I gave myself an aura ring for my birthday. Um, Amazing! Yeah, because I um, really old school <laughs> you with need my watch. Need to explain watch. that though, because everyone's like an aura ring. That yeah. sounds a bit hippie. <laughs> um, so the aura ring. So it's um, O R A, by the way. I think it yes. is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's it it does similar things to what Ash just said, but it's, obviously it's a ring rather than a watch, just mm. because I am super attached to my very old school, just analog you know, I guess silver watch. Yeah. Um, and it, the amount of like data it gives is just incredible. And I really love it. And, um, you know, it's tracking my body temperature. It's telling me when I'm ovulating, which is so cool because, you know, obviously that that's helping with like, you know, period tracking and everything else um, with that increased body temperature, but just the, the heart rate um, overnight. It's funny um, before Christmas, um, I went out with some friends and we had a really big night and my heart rate stayed up so high for the whole night. Yeah. And then 
the next day, like my app was telling me, oh, something, something was going on. You know, you need to rest today. Requires so recovery. Not the day to push it. I'm yeah. Like, oh, yes. Wow. That, uh, that's what happens. But um, yeah, I, I'm not normally a techie person, but I do love this, and I love that I can put it on airplane mode at night, and it still records, but doesn't transmit anything. So there's yes. no um, like EMF at night. Um, so I think that was the appeal for me um, with the Aura Ring, um, and it's quite comfortable to wear at work and adjust in, which I didn't think it would be, but it is. Ah, so lovely, good. Well, there you go, night. ladies. So now you know. <laughs> so obviously, both Andrew and I are thinking the same things because within yes. what within three months of each other, without having had this conversation, we've both got you know these trackable wearables uh, to yeah. allow us to watch our body, you know, to watch our body from a true health perspective, which doesn't include weight scales. It doesn't include BMI. It doesn't include any of those other markers. So I think if we, we can get away from this idea that our our weight defines us or our, our body, you know, defines yes. our health, it helps to bring the focus onto what health truly is. And that's so much more important if that means, you know, you've been inactive and you're getting more active because you're starting to track steps. It encourages the movement you, your body actually needs. If it means understanding your energy demand so you can actually match your diet with your energy requirements, that's a much healthier way of looking at health as opposed to um, just worried about fat, you know, and how how big your clothes are. I think there's just so many ways we can Great. redefine uh, what true health is. And I love this, you know, global crisis because it's just pushing people to think a bit harder about, well, what, what is health really? Yeah. Um, there's definitely a good silver lining there. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not merely the absence of disease. Is it? It's, yeah. it's about more than that. It's how we live. It's how we can enjoy our life and how we can stay truly well from the inside out. And um, yeah, this is, this is how we be the best we can be. And you always say that, you know, health has a bigger purpose. And I think that's just such yeah. a, such an important thing to remember that being healthy is not just how we look, it's how we feel and how we function, how we can give our best to the world. So let's yes. scrap BMI. I don't want to hear any more about BMIs ever again. Let's start yeah. talking uh, HIV and all these other cool stats, which give us real information. I love it. Oh, Ash, we're going to have to like share our stats in the mornings. Be like, oh, yeah. this is how I slept and blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, ladies, on that note, let's wrap this up. So you've been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are the Wellness Women, Dr. Andrea Huddleston and Dr. Ashley Bond. We are raising the bar for women's health. And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.